We're going to go ahead and look at our passage for today, which is 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households, deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and John Braze resisted Moses. So these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolish of Janus and John Braze. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here in your presence as your sons and your daughters, as family and friends. Uh, to hear all that it is you have for us, Lord. And I pray that the word that comes out of my mouth, Lord, would accomplish the purpose for which you send it, Lord. And we cannot do any of these things without your help. And as the passage that we read this morning, Psalm 27 said, Lord, you've been my helper. Lord, we ask for your help today through the power of your spirit to know these things, to understand these things, to believe these things, and, and, to, and to really be transformed into the image of your son, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, so we are continuing uh, in our series that we've titled Vintage um, Season Words to the Church. And we've been looking at this little book called 2 Timothy in the second part of the Bible, uh, which is called the New Testament. And uh, we've been working straight through this book, uh, verse by verse. Now, why do that? Why work through a book of the Bible, preach through a book of the Bible? I mean, I could, I could preach about all kinds of different topics and, and things that I'm excited about, or maybe things that you're interested in, or things that are going on in the community or the world. Uh, why work through uh, books of the Bible? And you may not be used to that if you're here this morning. Uh, you may not be used to verse by verse working through a, a, a book of the Bible, but working through books of the Bible exposes us to what the Bible wants to talk about. Not necessarily what I want to talk about. Uh, our passage was pretty heavy this morning, wasn't it? Wasn't that inspiring? It was pretty heavy. I didn't plan that. That's just the next thing that we come to here in, in chapter 3. This is what the Lord wants to talk to us about here this morning. It's, his, it's what he's interested in. It's what he's concerned about. And it's uh, what we're going to look, about, look at here this morning. So Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the early church, is writing this letter to Timothy, who was a younger pastor, a friend of his, someone that he uh, mentored and trained, and he's writing to encourage him and to challenge him. The question is, what does he want to challenge him about? And answering that question also answers the question as to why it's important to work through the books of the Bible. Because Paul wanted to challenge him about something that is not comfortable. You, read, you heard it. He wanted to challenge him about something that's com not comfortable and, and something I would dare say that you 
rarely hear about in many sermons, or if at all. That's why it's important to work through books of the Bible. And here's what we got for today. These are hard times. These are hard times. And, and what I want you to see is, what I'm ta- telling you is coming right out the passage. Okay, look at verse 1. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. Right there it is. These are hard times. Now, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Sounds like a, a horror movie to me. The passage that we just read. Um, I, don't, I don't really watch a lot of uh, horror movies or scary movies because uh, I start hearing stuff in my house. You know, I start getting paranoid and stuff. But uh, I have seen this, uh, this uh, trailer for one. It's the movie called Nope. Has anybody seen that? Okay. Yeah, it's a movie called Nope. So uh, the trailer comes on, and they, these folks are on a horse farm. And, uh, you know, they're, they got the record player going. They're, they're having a little drink, and they're dancing. They're just hanging out, having a good time. And all of a sudden, the record goes, right? And it gets dark, right? Everything goes dark, and then the aliens show up, right? And that's really how this passage um, feels, right? But know this, hard times will come in the last days, right? And uh, it, it sounds, it's, it, the, the darkness um, comes over us, right? And it says that it will come about in the last days, the end times, right? And you start talking about the end times or the last days, that's like crystal meth for church folks, right? They hear that and, you know, their eyes get big and they start tweaking out and uh, start doing all kinds of crazy things. Um, you would not believe some of the crazy things that I've heard about the end times, in my journey as a Christian. And I may even believe some at one time. Uh, maybe you're here and you've read the Left Behind book series or you've watched the movie. Um, and that's okay if you have. Um, but basically the, 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 the books are about how the true believers are going to be sucked up to heaven in the rapture. Like God's got this um, heavenly shop back, you know, and he's just, he just... He's just sucking all the believers up to heaven and it leaves the world uh, and the, all the unbelievers in some chaos and uh, destruction. Uh, no lie, uh, just out of curiosity this week, I typed in spy balloons end times. And I was not disappointed in what I found. Right? I found a guy on TikTok, which is another reason to get off of TikTok if you're on there. Uh, a guy talking about uh, these balloons, uh, and he was using the Bible uh, as, a, as a mean, he was t- talking about these balloons that this was a sign that the end was happening right now, right? And uh, it was absolutely ridiculous, uh, his twist in scripture. All right, here's the deal. The last days are not just the days right before Jesus returns, right? That's not what the Bible says, right? Uh, so, the last days started with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I want to show you this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Look at this. In these last days, God, he has spoken to us by his son. Do you see that? He said, okay, as I am writing this, these are the last days. In these last days, as soon as Jesus started speaking to us, it was the last days. Right? And this is how all the apostles and all the prophets thought about it. Uh, this is Peter uh, on the day of Pentecost when the church began. Uh, the Holy Spirit came down on the church. And this is the sermon that he preached in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. 
He says, on the contrary, this is Peter preaching, this, that is the Holy Spirit coming down in the church, is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days. So he's saying, okay, what you see right now, this is that. It will be in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit uh, on all people. So this is the way the, the apostles and the prophets thought about it, that, that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people, that's the last days, right? So we have been and are still living in the last days. That is the teaching of Scripture, that when the church began or when Jesus stepped foot and he started his ministry, all the way up until this present time, all of that right there is the last days according to the Bible. And what this means is hard times, according to the scripture, according to our pastor today. Notice, hard times in the last days. But it says, understand this, know this, hard times will come in the last days, people. So hard times come in the last days because of people. That's what the passage says. And you might be thinking, yeah, of course, it's those people out there. It's those ungodly people. It's those pagan people. Right? Whoever it is, whatever group. Right? It's, it's those people who don't believe in Jesus or who aren't a part of the church or anything like that. But this passage uh, doesn't say that. This passage is talking about people who claim to be Christians and who aren't. They are phonies. Look what it says in verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. These people hold to the form of godliness but denying its power. You see that. All right, so in verses 2 through 4 of this passage, Paul lists off 19 characteristics of knockoff Christians to explain this right here, what it looks like to have the form of godliness, but to deny its power. And then in verses 6 through 9, he gives us two personal examples of what it looks like to be a fake or to be a phony. And if we understand this, all right, if we know this as Paul says, then it is shocking and even terrifying because there are people who say they are Christians, who claim to be Christians, and they are not. Right? And that is shocking. And this is really hard for us to hear in our, uh, our modern culture um, because our modern culture is soft and nice and sweet. And everything is in neon colors. All right, but this is black and white. Um, let me give you a hypothetical example. Um, and this is a silly example. Right? Christians, we like to put Bible verses on our walls in our house, like art, you know, and we, you know, it's, a, it's a piece of art that says whatever. The Lord is my helper. Right? But can you imagine putting this scripture on your wall? Know this. In the last days, hard times will come. Come on in. Come on, welcome, welcome. Have some uh, chicken pot pie, you know. Um, but we like the feel-good verses, right? But a lot of times, not the whole, whole of the Bible. There's, there's a lot of churches out there that are just feel-good churches, right? You go to church and you feel good. You feel inspired when you leave, right? But listen, we might not feel good today when we leave. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Do you think that when Jesus preached, everyone felt good when they left? I read this morning, I was reading this morning, Luke chapter 19 at the very end, it says, after he got done preaching, they were trying to figure out how to kill him. 
I don't know if they really felt good when he got done preaching. Uh, they weren't jumping for joy. And this passage is saying that some Christians aren't Christians at all. Right? We don't want to say that, do we? Right? We don't want to say, hey, that person's not a Christian. That person's fake. That person's uh, false because it's not nice. Right? We say things like, who am I to judge that person? Who am I to say they're not a Christian? Well, Jesus says, you're just the person. Absolutely, you're just the person to say that. Look what he says in uh, Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, right? Jesus is not giving a, a, a suggestion here. Uh, if we got it, Matthew 18, verse uh, 15, if not, all good, all good. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Go home and read the rest of that passage, Matthew uh, chapter 18. Here's the deal. Hard times come because of false Christians. And that is the focus of this passage. All right, these are hard times because there are those who say they are Christians and there really ain't no love. All right, there really ain't no love. Can we, yeah, there we go. You guys mind if I use the word ain't? I know you don't care. Yeah, ain't, there ain't no love. Look, look what it says here, verses uh, two through four. For people will be, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 3, 2 through four, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Look at this, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now notice this whole passage here is bracketed with no love. It's a self-love at the beginning and at the very end is Love of pleasure rather than love of God. So in other words, there ain't no love. These people really don't love other people and they really don't love God. I mean, there's people, all kinds of people who say with their mouth, of course I worship him. I worship God. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus, but it's really just a lie. That's what our passage goes on to detail, what it looks like not to have any love. It talks about a love of self and money and evil and pleasure. So they go to church on Sunday, they're here, heart somewhere else. Their love is somewhere else. And it makes me think about uh, Hank Williams, old, old Hank Williams song, Cheating Heart. Right? Your cheating heart will tell on you. Right? And it'll tell on these people as well. They, they have cheating hearts. And this is actually one of the ways the Bible talks about what's wrong with us talks about what's wrong with humanity, that, 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 that what we love is out of place, right? Look, look what it says in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 32. Ezekiel 16. Yes, you are an adulterous wife who takes in strangers instead of her own husband. And he wasn't talking about like literal adultery. He was talking about, this is the prophet Ezekiel speaking to the nation of Israel saying, your heart is going to stray. You don't really love me and love other people. You're cheating on me. Right? There are those who cheat on the Lord. They love other things more than Him. And this is what the Bible calls idolatry. Which means our main problem is a matter of loving the wrong things. And, or, loving good things more than Him. Right? Let me ask you a question. Do you have a cheating heart here this morning? Do you have a, a cheating heart? Listen, to cheat is to lie. 
Right? And th- these types of people uh, got all the Christian lingo down. Right? They got all the Christian words down. They probably listen to Christian music, read all kinds of Christian books, watch uh, Christian uh, TV shows, and they, they love to praise Him, and they say amen, and, and uh, um, lots of uh, churchy talk and spiritual language. Right? But it's just lip service. It's empty words. Where is your heart this morning? Is your heart in bed with another lover here this morning? This is, a, this is good for us all to think about this. Is, is your heart really in love with the Lord this morning? Or is it, what are you really excited about? What are you really passionate about? What are your priorities? When you're in bed with another lover, someone gets hurt. That's what this passage says. That people who um, love other things more than the Lord are boastful. They are proud. They are demeaning. They are disobedient to parents. They are ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. And it means, and irreconcilable just means they don't want to love other people. They refuse to make it right. Even if other people do, they're slanderers. They like to talk about people in the community and stir up all kinds of uh, division and, and, and hatred without self-control. They are brutal. They don't love what is good. Traitors, reckless, conceited. And that makes for hard times. These are hard times because there are those who say they're Christians, but there really ain't no power. There really ain't no power. And that's the that's a, a third thing we'll talk about here. There really ain't no power. We got that? If not, okay. 2 Timothy 3.5 Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. So, There are people who say they're Christians. They appear godly on the outside, but they're just double talkers. That is, saying one thing and doing something else. That's what the Bible calls a hypocrite. And you know, Jesus' most scathing words were to hypocrites. Uh, This is what he said uh, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 through 28. Woe to you, Scribes and Pharisees, these were the religious and political leaders of the day. Hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. When when Jesus was talking with uh, these church people, these religious people, he called them hypocrites seven times. Fools once. Blind five times. Snakes one time. Jesus didn't have any time uh, for hypocrisy. And these hypocrites killed him because their faith and their religion was a sham. Their religion was a show. They killed the Son of God. They killed the Messiah. And there are a lot of people and a lot of churches, and it's just a show. Right? It looks good on the outside. They may even have uh, the word church on their building and claim to be Christians, but, but inside, there's no power. Inside, there's no life. Looks spiritual on the outside, but no Jesus on the inside. No gospel. No cross, no resurrection, no Holy Spirit, right? And no Jesus equals no power and no life. And listen, I've been around long enough to know that people love to play church games. They'll come to church, come to all the functions, participate in all the stuff, talk a big talk, 
I remember sitting down with an older couple, having to talk to them about some open hypocrisy in their life. And they acted just like this passage says, demeaning. The husband said, you're just a boy. Even though I approached him humbly as I would my own father. See, this passage described this couple as a T, and, and, and the conversation ended with them saying, but we gave. We gave money to the church. Here's the deal. That's great. Give, give. Give sacrificially, right? But give your heart to the Lord in obedience to him. Because it doesn't matter how much you give. That's what Jesus said. Jesus told the hypocrites, you give and you tithe and you do all this, but you neglected the weightier matters of the word. And it's no wonder that this particular couple that I'm talking about, none of their kids are following Jesus. Because here's the deal, when mom and dad are hypocrites, the kids don't care what you say. The kids don't care about coming to church if we come and we go home and there's no difference. Right? One of the biggest objections that people have out there to us in here is that we are hypocrites. That's one of the biggest objections that people have uh, to Christianity. Right? And in droves and masses of people walk away from the church because they've experienced hypocrisy in the church. The fastest growing religious demographic in our culture says this. I don't want anything to do with that anymore because this is, this is just hypocrisy. These are hard times because people claim to believe in Jesus, but there really ain't no honesty. That's what our passage says. Look at it in verse... Um, Paul gives this personal example in verses 6 through 9, in chapter 3. For among them, that is among these people, there are those who worm their way into households. And households can also mean church, because this is where the early church met, in large households, large houses. And they deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and John Braves resisted Moses. These are people who in Jewish culture, uh, the Jewish people would have known that these are people when Moses went to, to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, they were uh, some of the magicians and, and the sorcerers there in, in Pharaoh's uh, court, Janus and John Braves. So these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith, but they won't make any further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Janus and John Bray's. See, this passage says that these people love to worm their way into the church. You see that? Right? They love to go in the back door, sneak in, and not come to the front door and let everybody know, hey, I'm a real Christian. Because they're not honest. Uh, me and my family, we were watching a comedian recently, and uh, he was talking, he was interacting with the crowd. He said, all right, I want to know what your high school mascot was. Not if it was like the Bears or anything. Not something that all the high school teams are or anything like that. I want to know if it's something strange, right? So the crowd was interacting uh, with him. And then he said, I think it would be funny if a high school team, uh, their mascot was the chameleons, right? And every game, they dressed up like the opposing mascot's uh, mascot, right? And they were the chameleons, right? And it was funny. Um, that's these people. These people are chameleons, right? They come up in the church, whoosh, they change colors, and they look like Christians, but really, um, they are destructive. They blend in. 
And the Bible's clear about this. Jesus said that there would be wolves in sheep's clothes. That is, on the outside, they got the sheep wool. They look like Christians. They look like one of us. But inside, they will destroy you. They will kill you. They will devour you. And this is what was happening in the church of Corinth when uh, Paul wrote to them in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 13 to 14. is what it says. For such people are false apostles. See, when the apostle Paul planted that church, he started that church, he left, and then these false pastors came in among them. False Christians. They're deceitful workers. Look at this. Disguising themselves. You see that? Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And look here. And no wonder. For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. How slick is that? And let me tell you, Satan is not dumb. Satan is way smarter than Sam Smith made him out uh, to be on the Grammys. He ain't like that. You're not going to see him coming. Here's what you need to think about. Seasoned expert sniper. You're not going to hear the bullet. You're not going to see them. They're camoed up. They're in the ghillie suit. You know, they, they have snuck their way in. You're not going to see them. You're not going to hear them or anything like that. And wolves. Wolves love to prey upon the weak. They love to prey upon weak Christians and new Christians. They love to have lots of side conversations. Come over here and let me have a conversation with you. You know, let me um, lure, they, they lure people away from the church and get people involved in all kinds of distractions and all kinds of destructions. And you're going to think that they care about you. You're going to think that they love you and that they're for you. But in reality, they're trying to manipulate you and abuse you. And we have an example in this passage. They use and abuse women. Right? They love to hang out with the ladies. Love to hang out with the women. But they ain't hanging out with the real men in the church. They're not hanging out with the shepherds of the church and have real conversations about what it looks like to follow Christ and to grow in their walk with Christ. All right? I remember one time in pastoral ministry, a gentleman doing this exact thing. So I bought him lunch. We sat down and talked about it. Hey, here's what I'm concerned about. And I told him, this is my concern for you and, and, and for what you're doing. And he said, no one has ever put any restrictions on me. See, here was a guy who was always learning a lot of education, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of stuff, and a lot of talk about religion and Jesus and faith and all this stuff, but he was never able to arrive at the truth. In fact, he resisted the truth because he hated the truth that Jesus put all kinds of restrictions on him because he's Lord. He's resurrected from the dead, and he tells us what to do. He gets to boss us around. He's our creator. We are his sheep, right? The sheep of his, his pasture. Uh, and the reason I'm telling you these examples is because this stuff is real. This is not a game. Church is not a game. Christianity is not a game. Jesus said these things. Beware. Be on watch. Be on guard because there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. The bottom line is this. We don't want to be like this. That's the truth. We don't, want, we don't want to be like this. We don't want to cause hard times for people or, or for the church. So this passage in the Holy Spirit puts the challenge to you. 
puts the challenge before you. Number one, avoid these people. 2 Timothy 3.5. Let's look at it. Avoid these people. And you might be thinking, is it really saying that? Is it really saying avoid these people? Yeah, I looked it up in the original language, in the Greek. Here's what it says. Avoid these people. Don't be friends with them. Don't be friends with these people, with fake Christians. And here's why. One of the reasons I had to have a conversation with that older couple was this. They were pushing people away from Jesus. They were pushing people that our church was trying to reach away from Christ. Unbelievers. And giving him a bad name because they were hypocrites. And if you're friends with these types of people, you are saying you are in agreement with their hypocrisy. And it sends the wrong message to people. It would be like me saying, if someone rolled up in my house and they just, every time they came in, they were just, boom, they kicked my dog. <laughs> Come on in, man. Man, I'm so glad we're friends, man. I love, man, you're such a good dude. Every time, boom, kick my great name. Right? My great dad would probably, probably attack him at that point, but no, that type of person is not allowed in my house. Period. Because they are not my friend. You kick my dog. We see this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Right? There was a man in the church sleeping with his stepmom, and everyone was cool with it. Eh, you're, you, yeah, you claim to be a Christian. You love Jesus. It's okay. Sleep with stepmom. And they're up and they're just worshiping like everything is cool and nothing's going on. 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 5 verse 9 puts it like this. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And I didn't mean the sexually immoral people out there in the world or the greedy or the slenders, idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. Paul's saying, listen, I'm not talking about not being friends with unbelievers. Here's what he's talking about. Actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother, a Christian, or a sister, and is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, verbally abusive, a drunkard, or swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. This is in the Bible. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Paul said, my business is not to judge the world, judge outsiders. Look here. Don't you judge those who are inside? Aren't we supposed to judge those who are inside the church? Hold one another accountable, challenge each other, encourage each other, rebuke each other. God judges the outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. In other words, excommunicate them from the church. That's the old-fashioned word. And you might be thinking, aren't we supposed to love everyone? Yeah, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to love uh, these types of people. He's not being friends with them. doesn't mean we're not kind to them. You know, we, we don't uh, say hello and this type of stuff. It just means that we're not on the same page. We do not worship the same Jesus. We're not practicing the same Christianity. Uh, you know, working in substance abuse uh, for years, I can guarantee you 99% of the time, someone is enabling that person. Someone is funding it. Someone is catching them before they fall. And here's the deal. We do not want to enable fake Christians. We want to obey the scripture and in turn expose them. Say, hey, listen, we don't agree here. We are worshiping a different Lord here. Right? And the goal is that they would come to their senses eventually. That's the goal. Number two, 
know this. We are to know these things. Look at verse 1 again. Look at verse 1 again. But know this. Do you know this? Do you understand uh, these things? You see, this is a warning for those in the church who have already come to their senses. That, that's us. If, if you're a Christian here, and you, you have been awakened, and you've come to your senses, let this warn you. Right? Let this challenge you. This Scripture and the Holy Spirit is putting the challenge before you to know these things and understand them. In the Apostle Paul's story, he was one of these people. He was someone who had no love for God's people. He had no power in his life. He was leading people away from Jesus. He was a brutal man. He was murdering Christians. But then he saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. Right? And he came to be a Christian. He came to believe in Jesus, and his whole life was turned inside out, upside down, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And look what he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. All right, see, that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is, God kept his promise that he made through the prophets to send the Messiah into the world. And Jesus came into the world, the true king of Israel, the world's true Lord, and he was faithful. He obeyed God at every point, and he went to that bloody cross for you, where he was nailed to it by hypocrites. He was nailed to it by brutal men, and he died on the cross in our place for our sins. The Son of God did, and he went down into the grave, and he was buried, and they rolled a stone over it. Three days later, he rolled that thing back open, walked out, resurrected bodily, walked and talked with people, and then he ascended to the throne of the universe from where he puts restrictions on us all. What a, what a good news. He forgives us. He's gracious to us. He, he causes us to come to our senses. Let me ask you a question here this morning. Have you come to believe in this Lord? Have you come to submit to Him? Are you a real Christian here this morning? Are you legit? Or are you fake, false, phony, an opposer, or a poser? The good news is, is the Lord always has open arms and said, come back, come back to me, repent, and come back to me. I'll never forget when someone walked into my house and I had lived this life of this passage, reckless, lover of self, lover of money, greedy, boastful, proud, brutal. And I came to my senses when I heard about this gospel, when I heard about this good news of Jesus, and I read that passage. He put it before me. He said, hey, look at this. I said, that's me. That passage is about me. And guess what? That's you too. Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners like me and you. You have been shown infinite grace if you're a Christian. You didn't do anything to deserve it, anything to earn it, right? You have been saved by grace and by Jesus alone. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. That's the good news of the gospel. Listen, I know that these are heavy things. Hard times call for heavy words. So what we want to do now is we want to look to Jesus. 
who is infinite in strength. From his very words, from his very mouth, he upholds the entire universe. We want to look to him and we want to, we want to lean on him and, and, and ask him to help us to carry these heavy words and this heavy load. And uh, we're going to do that by celebrating the Lord's Supper.